ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. This is The Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Hate speech and online trolling has forced yet another community event to be postponed. This time, a rainbow ball. A free event for LGBTQIA plus young people in Wangaratta in regional Victoria. Organisers received so many hate-filled messages in the lead-up that they decided to postpone the event because they feared for people's safety. Now, that's distressing for anyone, anywhere. But how much harder is it when this hate speech is thrown at vulnerable teenagers in a small regional community? Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt, your co-host today, Bronwyn O'Shea, joining you from ABC Wodonga. Bron, you have to start to think about not just the postponing of this event, but the long-term impacts, the ripple effects when an event like this is postponed or cancelled. Yeah, you think back to when you're a teenager and you're organising something that really matters to you. You put your heart and soul into it, don't you? And it takes months of work. You're proud, you're excited to celebrate. So to have that shut down by hatred, you know, what message does that then send to Mm. those young people? Because of course we need to keep them safe. But if events like this continue to be targeted by hate campaigns and cancelled because of it, what is that ongoing cost to those young people? Um, Can they feel safe to be themselves in their hometown? Do they then decide maybe not to come out? Do they leave that town altogether? We certainly don't want that to happen. And we know we're trying to keep young people, we're trying to keep future generations in small community, regional and rural towns. One person who actually spoke with the ABC online team in relation to this particular event said that stuff like this really made me want to shrivel up that these events were important, especially in rural and regional areas, because it's harder to find that sense of community and that sense of safeness. And they said that the news had left them angry and wanting to advocate further for their queer community, but they were also concerned for their friends and peers. So how do we support young people in country communities to express who they are and to be able to connect with like-minded people, but also keep them safe from hate? How important are events like a rainbow ball to make young people feel proud and a part of their local community? On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is The Conversation Hour. Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt, your co-host today, Bronwyn O'Shea, joining you from ABC Wodonga. And Bron, we know that small communities, regional and rural towns, everybody knows everybody. Everybody knows everybody else's business. And sometimes it can take a lot of courage and it can take a long time to come out or to talk to someone openly and honestly about how they're feeling. And to have an event like a Rainbow Ball cancelled after all of the work work that got put into it, you would have to think that the ongoing impacts, the ongoing ripple effects are, are going to be fairly long lasting and will change people's minds on how safe and protected they feel. Yeah, and you're right, in a small community, you know, there's there's less anonymity and there's probably more visibility too. So you can imagine when you pop down to the shops, how it must feel then to look around you and think, well, am I amongst people who sent awful vile, hate-filled messages about this event that was so important to me and about the things that I care about. And how important are events like a ball in a small regional community? Maybe there's a particular event that you went to where all of a sudden you felt connected to your town and to your people. What was that event and why are they so important? Adele is a youth worker in Koryong and was a part of putting this ball together and working with so many young people at your youth drop-in centre, Adele, that have been working towards this big event. How disappointed were people that had been postponed? Um, yeah, thank you, Rochelle. Um, well, people were just quite shocked, I think. And even though the event has only been postponed, it, it does feel the same as being cancelled because there's no date that has been released for the new the new event to go ahead and yeah this was the first time our, our young people were actually being supported to attend because 
it's been held in the northeast for years before now, but our community has never gotten involved. So it was really a positive step, and it's um, it's yeah, not very nice to have to go through this and to have our young people have these harsh sort of realities come to light right now when all they want to do is celebrate during June. Adele, we've seen various events all over the country be targeted by horrible, hate-filled messages and campaigns and protests. But to have this come right into your little community, how did that feel? Yeah, it just was so unexpected. Like, I think we've been seeing on the news events in Melbourne and even, of course, in America, things are going a bit wild. But yeah, you just never expect it's going to happen so locally and impact your friends and your family and yourself even. So, well, you did yeah. receive some of these messages, didn't you? So so what effect mm. has that had on you? Oh, it definitely wasn't a nice morning to open that email. Um, it was only about a week or two before the ball was supposed to go ahead and a lot of us who were organising it just received a very targeted email um yeah telling us that ourselves and our organization were awful people and you know no one wants to hear that and especially when it's an event that is trying to support young people that previously have not had a lot of support around them adele in the work that you do at your youth group it can often take months if not years for someone to come out or to speak openly and honestly with someone that they trust and I know that that's something that's been happening with the young people that you work with. Are you worried that an event like this will stop people opening up, will stop people from reaching out? Yeah, I think the ripple effect is definitely going to be seen um, on that level because it's, it's shaken people's confidence. Like, I know that when I was in school, there was no one who was confident to come out, but we had started to see young people being themselves. And I'm just worried that it'll maybe, you know, go backwards a little bit with all of this that's going on. What have you told the kids who were really looking forward to this event? What have you told them about, you know, why you've decided to to postpone it? And and I guess also about helping them manage those horrible feelings that they must have to have been targeted in this way? Yeah, well, we've obviously been having the conversation and we've explained that it will still go ahead and don't lose hope. But at the same time, I did want to be honest and say, like, this event was cancelled because they were concerned about, you know, everyone attending. So, yeah, you don't want to put fear into these young people for no reason, but there is a reason, which is the bigger concern. Mm. Yeah. And what sort of support would you like to see there? I mean, there's a message from Davey in Caulfield says the real conversation is how do we deal with these ongoing threats of fascists in Victoria against LGBTIQ plus people? It's a coordinated campaign. These events need protection not to be cancelled. And I know Bron and I were talking about that that exact line, Davey, uh, from Caulfield off air. There's, yes, you're cancelling or postponing to protect, but then at the same time, the fact that they're not going ahead it sort of feels like the two forces are working against each other. If you had some power, I mean, what's the solution, do you think, Adele? Um, I don't know, because obviously the idea would just, if we could just continue having events and for young people to be themselves, but we really need a bit of an educational campaign. Like, you can definitely see the link between you know, one generation to the next. And if their opinions or their view on the world is not quite inclusive, then it just passes straight on to the next generation. So, yeah, it's a bit of a multi-generational issue as well as, a, you know, it's not just local, it's happening everywhere. So... I'm not sure. Adele, as Davey, our texter said, you know, that we're, we're seeing targeted campaigns um, of this nature. Do you have any idea whether this was just someone, you know, potentially sitting in a capital city somewhere firing off an nasty email, completely unconnected to your community, or 
you know, are you also concerned mm. that, that, that there is this feeling of um, hatred and, and potentially violence within your community? Well, I do believe that the emails and the comments that came regarding the ball, that was most likely someone in a different region. I'm not entirely sure. But uh, simultaneously, we have been getting growing negative comments on a local level as well. So it's almost the more people see it happening on a wider scale, the more confidence they have to then be hateful and negative in their own spaces. Are you confident that the event will at some stage go on? I am. I know that everyone involved is their top priority to get it going again. And that's what I've been focusing on with the young people. I said, don't worry, we'll we'll go there and we'll be brighter and more colourful than ever. We'll take our youth bus and, you know, it'll still go ahead. Don't lose hope. (laughs) Well, you create such a wonderful safe space and your work is probably more important now than ever, Adele. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's Adele, who's a youth worker in Corriong. This text, Bron, from Sam in Kyneton. I'm devastated and angry that yet another event has been cancelled just by ignorant, narrow-minded keyboard warriors yet again. We're becoming just like America day by day. It's not something we should be aspiring to. Our young people deserve the right to feel safe in their own skin, no matter how they identify. Ian's called through. Ian, good morning. Morning, how are you going? Well, what did you want to say? Uh, look, basically, just hearing the, the, the talk this morning, I... Um, just wanted to express my experience with um, a transgender child and years of bullying and um, judgment by community and uh, the, the impact that that's had on on my child's life. Um, so basically, uh, Jay is now 22. Uh, at about 14, 15, transition from um, being a, a extremely bullied uh, girl who had been bullied since about basically six, seven years of age because she was eccentric and uh, artistic and different. Didn't fit into mainstream society. Uh, we moved her from a, this is when she was teaching, we moved her from a, uh, a state school to a, a Christian school after I homeschooled her for one year to get her back into a happy place. Oh, wow. At the Christian school, she found uh, herself, found some happiness and found some support, which was great initially, uh, until at the age of 14, 15, again, after the impacts of bullying, decided to want to transition from um, a, a girl into now Jay as, as, as my son. Uh, anyway, the uh, at a Christian school, um, I had no idea uh, how bad bullying could be. It, it the bullying at the state school uh, over being different went to, a, to an intense level of uh, ostracising, just constantly physical mm. bullying, uh, mental bullying. Teachers were involved in, in calling my child a freak. Um, they took a, a school vote to try and remove um, Jay from the school because the Christian community could not accept having a transgender child at the school. This is going back um, seven seven years ago. Um, things have changed a little bit now. Some schools, Christian schools, do accept transgender children, but this was just a child who was just trying to find find his way in life. And yeah. uh, basically, life as a boy was a lot simpler, happier, and for the first time in many years, they was was happy until. <laughs> The bullying started and, and it ended up to the point where Jay could not finish at school. That she was, oh, sorry, He was getting pushed downstairs, um, bags filled with food, locker filled with milk. Um, it was daily bullying. Um, basically, would walk through the school. Um, boys would gang up and, and push Jay, Jay down you know, stairs and, and whatnot. But it, as a parent, I'm just thinking, you know, where, where does the people get off on passing their judgment on someone else's life choice? Hey, and I'm so sorry that that's happened to your child and, and to you as well. And, you know, it's interesting, isn't it, when we think about the school environment and when we're trying to figure out who we are in life, and we all have that to a certain degree, often school is the worst place. You know, it's not where you feel supported. It's that outside tribe that you find that make you feel connected, which is why events like this Rainbow Ball that has been postponed or cancelled are so important would you agree because yeah, absolutely yeah it's um look jay, jay when jay was coming out was in a in a community completely isolated from uh this was actually in queensland but it was from a community that, that, that did not accept uh gay or transgender or anybody within that community so it was uh, already hard enough but the, the any friends that jay had because of parents um christian values predominantly turned on jay so jay lost any friends that jay had 
uh, it became extremely isolated. But I, um, the thing that, that I'd like to express to people who, who don't understand this is he's a child who was bullied in primary school, who was suicidal, cutting himself, stabbed himself uh, multiple times, was hospitalised 10, 11 years of age uh, because she was ugly, because she was different in, in the eyes of others. Uh, I, as a parent, could not convince her otherwise because bullying does you know, irreparable damage to someone's mindset. Uh, so from 11, 12, I went through two three years of two, three years of constant fear of suicide with this extremely unhappy child who just cried every day to, to see the transition of, of this child basically um, suddenly, suddenly excuse me, yeah. finding, finding happiness in this new transition. I don't care what people thought. It, it, was, it was the first time I saw my child happy in a long time. Oh. And then the bullying went to this next level. I'm thinking, oh my God, this went on for years. Oh. So like, this child now basically sits at home every day, doesn't go out. It's so scared of society because of judgment. Uh, and I, as a parent, I'm thinking, you know, this is because of people's judgmental and narrow-minded yeah. opinions, I've got a once happy child who now is so scared to leave the house, literally leaves the house and goes out once once a year. And that would be, you know, you know me forcing the child to come out to try and get back into, into society. Oh, and that's that's the the impact of these people's that's it. and that's people have to remember that these are individuals and these are people's children. lives and children that we are talking about and what an incredible dad you are and it's so mm. important that you share your story and we wish you and your family all the best and this is what we're talking about. This is the yeah. ongoing impacts, the ripple effects of not being able to put these events on. This is not just a ball that's about dancing and, and having fun. Yes, that's a great little side element to it, but it's about feeling connected, feeling safe. And fi finding your tribe. Yeah. And feeling like you belong and you have a place. This is The Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Good morning, my name's Rochelle Hunt, your co-host today, Bronwyn O'Shea, joining you from ABC Wodonga. And it's an interesting text here because we're talking about how do we support young people to be their true selves in regional and rural areas in particular so that events like Rainbow Balls aren't cancelled. There's a text here from Amy and it says, I wonder if the local churches would be willing to get involved with spreading, spreading the right message. It often their traditional religious messages are the source of fear and hatred. But Amy raises an interesting point of what can other groups do? What can other charities do to be able to show support? Well, Joe Delvin is the Salvation Army's National Coordinator for Lived Experience and lives in Corriong. Her partner is the local GP there, so you are super involved in that local community, Joe. What role does the church or the Salvation Army have in creating a support network for young people and to stop some of this hate that's occurring? Um, hi, Rochelle and Bronwyn. Thanks for having me on. Um, I think to answer that question as succinctly as I can, I would say visibility. Um, that an acceptance, and I know that, I mean, my role in the Salvation Army is about the lived experience, which includes the voices of the LGBTQI community. And with my partner, Chris, who is um, first of his kind, I believe, as the coordinator for LGBTQI, it's our role to ensure that that oppression and discrimination is addressed and the young people are supported. Uh, what's interesting is on Friday when I met up with Adele and the other young people and they told me what had gone on, Chris and I had just come back from a tour of uh, New South Wales to the community, to the um, residential communities we have there. And I was speaking to a young, very young man. He was just 17 and he'd lost his family. He was frightened of being um, deported from Australia. They was from Burma because he came out to his parents as being gay. And it just breaks my heart that in this day and age, that this, this is still happening everywhere. And the coordination and collaboration between services, I believe, has a long way to go. And as adults, be it church, state, whoever it is, we have a responsibility to to support young people to be themselves, to be authentic and, and to, to armour up and against this, what I believe is a siege of hate and discrimination coming through at the moment, particularly against the trans community. So what could that look like, Joe? What practical steps could organisations, community groups um, take, do you think, particularly in regional communities, that would 
that would provide that protective environment and combat that hate that seems to be um, being exacerbated recently? Group support groups again visibility um the salvation army was in the uh, world pride this year um being out there saying we love you we accept you there is a door open there is no wrong door for somebody who needs to talk and we do need to be out there in the rural communities more and more you can't be what you can't see and the idea that that young people are hiding inside terrified to be themselves and what that leads to the health issues that leads to we know very well trauma and what that leads to the trauma effect on the body the physical health is affected and you know we've got some great rural services they just need more and they need that collaboration between health between education if these young people which they are are experiencing this discrimination from other young people then what are we doing in schools what education are we giving what are the church saying what's the message that's going out there of acceptance love and against oppression there's a message here from louise and it says it's people power ask all the parents and supporters to surround the rainbow ball venue and make sure that all participants have two or three people to go home with them one or two nasty emails should not override those who support ask the people to come out and to be there and whether or not that specific concept would work but i love the idea of people rallying around and physically protecting a place you never know what that might lead to but i like the idea joe of as a community how do you show support so that like what you were saying Bron, when you're at the supermarket you're not second guessing what the person behind mm. you was thinking or were they the one that sent the email or what are they what does their kid think or because that just pulls small communities apart it means that young people leave instead of staying and, and working and contributing to the community can the community show support in other ways even if they're not affiliated with a, a charity or a church group or a school Absolutely. And well said, Louise. Unfortunately, that leads to Nazis and, and terrible f- people turning up. So, you know, we have to be careful there. But in Coryong, you know, Josh, who has Acres and Acres, the co-op is doing great stuff. The real visibility, LGBTQI plus things going on. Being out there, the, the community here that I've got to know in the short time of being here has been accepting and including. It's the ones that are underneath, those that are the, the low liars, the ones that are cowards and sending emails that need to be addressed. And every community, should, every small community should have visibility. The flags out, the welcoming signs. We've got a long way to go, but we just need to infiltrate it, I believe, mm. just to get it out there. Joe, great to talk to you. Joe Devlin, who's the Salvation Army's National Coordinator for Lived Experience, happens to live in Coryong, which is one of the small communities that was preparing for and so excited about participating in this rainbow ball that was to be held a couple of weeks ago in Wangaratta for northeast Victoria. Glenn is in Anarchy. Hi, Glenn. How you going, Rochelle Bronwyn? Hello. What did you want to share? Oh, uh, look, I mean, uh, I lived in Wangaratta for quite a few years and uh, I've got a gay daughter who um, wasn't comfortable coming out until I I actually moved her down to Melbourne um, because I think what you find especially in these smaller the the education's not there um, even though there's 30 odd thousand people in Wangaratta but the the education's not there for the, the kids as in, you know, I mean, knowing that there's different and diverse people. Um, and what I found with with our daughter was you could see it was, was holding her back, and that's why um, I said to her, look, for your own peace of mind, you've got to get out. You know, you've, you've got to go somewhere where there's more forward-thinking people. And, say, especially Wangaratta, what I knows you know in the the 15 odd years i was up there most of the forward thinking um young people mm. you know whether they be heterosexual or, or homosexual they moved out they they left they, they could see yeah which is sad because you drive yeah. down the street away it is sad isn't it because i've had similar experience growing up in a small country town as well, Glenn. And the thing is, 
you don't want people to leave. You know, we lo- we love and we're proud of our regional and rural communities. And I mean, it must have been sad for you to know that your daughter had to leave. Do you think that that's changed and it w- is changing? And not I, just I, for well, Wangaratta, because we don't want this to be a pile on to Wangaratta. It happens no, no, in lots of places. Of, I mean, we we moved down there. We moved we moved you know down to uh, New Geelong, but um, after you know because there was no only. Uh, the in-laws up there, but what what I found is is it, it's Wangaratta or, or that northeast area to me, apart from say Albury Wodonga, which is yeah, it's, it's just going ahead in leaps and bounds. Um, is it's stalling? You know, I mean, it's you, you go down the main street of Wang and you probably see more empty shops and, and yeah. bookshops, and and I think that's that's a thing because. Your, your best minds, your, your kids with an entrepreneur. 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 I, know. <laughs> I struggle with that word. <laughs> a word well. we, none of us can say. <laughs> but, Glenn, you're so right. And that's why it's important for people like your daughter to feel like they can stay in their hometown. It's important for the future of these regional communities to make sure that that next generation is there and that people like Glenn was saying, the entrepreneurs can start up a business or whatever it may be. Mm. And I think it's interesting, Rochelle, that you know, so we tend to think of regional communities and city communities as being these really distinct groups yep. of different people. They're so not. Um, you know, there are so many people who've grown up in the city who move to regional communities. So, the, the, you know, it is a melting pot. There are people from really of different backgrounds. And there are and very mindsets. narrow-minded people in the city as well. <laughs> exactly. You've but just I got think more it's options that, to find yes. your tribe. Exactly. It's the numbers, isn't it? And it's the opportunities to be able to find the people who think like you and make you feel that you can be who you are. Um, Ro Allen is the Victorian Equal Opportunity and Human Rights Commissioner. Ro, thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Where, Where does the the law and actually what we can act upon and um and you know what the legislation and and the laws say about how we respond to hate speech and hate crime well i've got to say the laws are being tested right now and the attorney general the honorable jacqueline symes is on, uh, on record in Parliament saying we've got 18 months to update our laws. But at the moment in the Charter of Human Rights, there is obviously the freedom of speech and the freedom to uh, assemble peacefully. And I think the, the key message there is assemble peacefully. But mm. there's also the right not to be discriminated against under the Equal Opportunity Act based on gender, sexuality, age, disability. You know, there's 21 different protected attributes or, or protected reasons. So... Those rights are equal. Uh, one right is not larger than the other, and the job now ahead of us is to balance those rights. I think we've got some work to do. We, we've obviously um, working with the government to ban the Nazi symbol, ban the Nazi salute, but people will still have the right to come together and protest. Um, but we also and it doesn't stop make... someone firing off a nasty email either, does oh. it, to an organizer of a rainbow ball? <laughs> no, not at the moment, but hopefully we can strengthen w- what would be unlawful in the actual wording of the email. But we've got some catch-up, I suppose, to do. But, yes, that's absolutely distressing. There's no question about that. It's it's what we can do in the meantime to make sure that we keep people safe. But it's also not just about physical safety, as you've been talking about. It's about emotional safety as well, and that's really important. Well, as we heard from Ian and so many of the texts that are coming through, when hate speech is thrown, when events are cancelled, when people maybe lose the confidence to come out and to be who they are, to speak openly, to reach out for help, all of those things, that's, you know, these are real people. These are real people's lives that are being impacted. And, I mean, you would know, Ro, you lived in Violet Town. That's right. You know, you you know a small regional community. I feel like it's accentuated when it's when it's smaller like that and that the protection for young people there needs to, you know there needs to be some wraparound services it's really concerning yeah absolutely and you, you're right this is very dear to my heart we're still in violet town um, i'm down in melbourne a fair bit for this job but yeah 25 years ago almost to the day because i'm 51 now i started shepparton's first what was just gay and lesbian youth support group as a youth worker for the city of greater shepparton it's 25 years ago, there wasn't anything. And so 
Are things getting better? Absolutely things getting better. You know, I've seen that in 25 years. Look at all the youth groups. There are now 12 councils that come together as a collective to support LGBTIQ kids. I mean, that's, you know, that's incredible. And it's come a long, long way since my grandmother's day. My grandmother was the kindergarten teacher in Wangaratta and fell in love with a woman in Wangaratta and the oh, two man. of them had to leave, had to leave Wangaratta. Oh. So, you know... Um, we are a long way ahead we really are um but the services they're a bit thin on the ground absolutely um and we do need to support them what more can be done then so that we don't see events like this being cancelled or even postponed so that we we can make sure that we continue to give young people opportunities to come together and celebrate who they are safely yeah well, I really like your comment about let's not do a pile-on. So, you know, let's not do a pile-on to local governments that are, have cancelled. And it's not just Wangaratta. They've cancelled right. them in Epping and down yeah. in Melbourne and right across Victoria. And for good reason you know, too. For good reason, yep. When we, we've been pumping in the OH&S WorkSafe, you know, messages to councils for a really long time and they want to protect the young people. Um, but I think the key message for me today is that you know, I've spoken to the Chief of Police and the Deputy Commissioner and they're prepared to send any resources to any rural area if the local, you know, police haven't got the numbers. Um, they can protect our community. But, you know, it's we can't protect our kids from the, from other people's views is my, is my personal view. I'm probably speaking as a parent as much as a commissioner. But, you know, as long as we can help those young people get into the event, they, they may have to walk past 15 protesters but it has to be a peaceful protest and that's the world that these kids are living in but when they get inside the venue you know where they meet their own tribe they're connected i mean the wangaratta event um it was actually the date two two young people going on their very first date um to that event and so their first date was cancelled so their mum organized um the date at their home one of their homes and we live streamed an event down in Gippsland, an LGBTI gala ball down in Gippsland, and they sent us a picture of the two kids doing the nut bush, <laughs> watching the screen, while we were there's like 600 people down in Gippsland at an event doing the nut bush. Um, and you know that's a really supportive parent. I mean, that's you know it's pretty hard to have your first date in your parents' house, maybe <laughs> I don't know, but you know you do what you can, right? Yeah. Um, but. But that event in Gippsland sent love and, you know, the, the Minister, uh, the Honourable Harriet Shing, Minister for Equality, did a speech. It was live streamed to those kids. She said, we love you. This has been postponed. You know, this is That's not a over. pretty and memorable first date, isn't it? That's a pretty memorable first <laughs> That's date. That's a pretty good you know? VIP list. <laughs> so, you know, and as parents, you're like, you want to go down also. But the other thing about going down out the front um, sometimes if we had a lot of supportive people, then the police find it difficult to understand who's supportive and who's who's there to protest. And you don't want a fight breaking out between groups either. And I don't know about you, but at 15, I'm not sure I want my a whole oh. lot of my parents standing at the front of my no, disco. I, mean, I, I don't know. but I was going to say, I also would... Ha I just hate the thought that we live in a society where police presence is required at a teenage formal or ball like that just breaks my and to have, heart exactly i had a physical reaction the idea that you would have to walk through a protest to then get to your tribe ro there's a text here that says i'm volunteering to come down and to protect these kids and there's so many different people that are saying a similar thing and i don't want to sound negative here but I feel like the fight has just got harder and stronger and people are going to feel less confident to come out and to be who they are and to go to these events because why should you have to walk through a protest? And in bodyguards. To, and bodyguards <laughs> to get there. Do you feel like at the moment something is just, is just awful and it, it feels like it's snowballing and I'm just wondering, yeah. you know, how you feel about how we stop it and how we stop it quickly? Mm. We're all in fierce agreement. But I, as an LGBTI person myself, um, as part of the community, we've been needing to stand up and walk past and through protests a lot. And this generation, maybe not as much as previous generations, but we can't stay home. We can't, we can't breed a generation of LGBTIQ kids that are too afraid to leave their home, go to school, go to work. 
you know, we collectively have a job to educate people, but in the meantime, we've got to provide safe spaces for these kids, and and that needs to be on um, online safe spaces. But I don't want my teenager connecting to people online as their only outsource. So it is difficult, and I feel all those things. But we do have to have confidence. We have to give the local governments confidence that we can keep these venues safe to allow kids to, you know, to be themselves, to be their authentic selves and explore who they are. But if we have to wait until we can guarantee there's not going to be one Picard out front, these events will never happen. Um, we, we definitely need to get the laws to make sure that the Picards can't say horrific things you know, and there's no nooses and gallows and things that we've seen in the last couple of years appear at protests. We need to work really hard to make sure those things are not allowed and that any any of those signs that appear, the police have clear mandate to take them down and move people on. Um, but it's peaceful protest. That's the only thing. They Certainly the police can move them on if it's not a peaceful protest. But this is our world. This is the world that we live in and I don't know if we can protect our teenagers we just need to put mitigations in. We need to make sure that we don't advertise the venue or the places, that we get buses to drop them off, pick them up. Um, but we, we don't, we, it's not helpful to get a whole lot of people down there potentially yelling at the Nazis. And that, that'll be a much more intimidating environment to walk past than, you know, a couple yeah. of protesters. And honestly, seriously, they're mostly keyboard warriors. How many people are going to really come down and stay, stand with a Nazi, um, which will, you know, if they get photographed, could affect their jobs and their livelihood? There's not going to be that many people. And I, and I just think we have to stand up really clearly and say everybody has the right not to be discriminated against. There's the freedom of expression, yes, but these kids have freedom to express themselves yeah. too. Roy, they're incredibly lucky to have a commissioner like yourself. Thanks so much for your time today. My pleasure. It's Ro Allen, the Victorian Equal Opportunity and Human Rights Commissioner. Texts like this, how good is it to hear the Salvation Army speaking so beautifully and truly care and care in a love-filled way? I believe that this is strengthened by the challenges unless we use compassion and embracing human care to respond to those challenges. It's strange that none of the anti-trans protesters are not prepared to call in or to show their faces and defend their beliefs. So how do you protect those events? How do you ensure that young people who identify as LGBTIQA plus do walk through those protests and do go to those events? We're talking about the importance of not cancelling or postponing things like rainbow balls, Bron, because of hate speech. How do we ensure, like Roe said, and by the way, hand on heart, how lucky are we to have them as a commissioner? Because you need to ensure that young people in particular, older people as well, but young people who are just starting to figure out who they are feel safe and confident to go to that event, to get on that bus and to go to that event. You have to be a pretty hard-hearted person to not think that young people, children, children have a right to be able to feel safe and happy in the town they live in. And just to argue otherwise to me just is... uh, I cannot understand how you could. Um, So how do we wrap around these young people, make them feel supported and celebrated to be who they are? Um, Because we know what the the flip side of that is. And we've heard the heartbreaking phone calls today from parents who have told us what it has meant to either relocate their child because they didn't feel safe to be who they were or to keep their, see their child self-harm and stay at home because they simply didn't feel safe walking out the door. Ben McKellen is an author, a public speaker, a playwright and a performer and a long-time friend of the Conversation Hour. Ben, thank you so much for speaking with us today because it's easier said than done now, even though you've spent a lot of time on this program. I guess for the first time in a long time, Ben, as a trans man, you'd be thinking twice about speaking openly and and publicly and someone that lives and works in regional Victoria do you feel like you're fighting a bigger fight at the moment? Well thanks very much for for having me on and it's always lovely to be back on the uh, conversation hour Uh, it does seem like a little while and things have amazingly changed in in a negative way sadly because last time I was on I felt very proud and very safe to 
talk about what was going on. Yes, there were uh, opinions out there uh, that were in disagreement or, or saying you know, trans people should not have the rights that other people have. Um, but in the meantime, I've been on uh, the ABC's The Drum and received a death threat. And that that's a new thing for me. I've been a trans man for 20 years. And um, although I wasn't perhaps as visible before, it seems the more visible we get, the more, the more pushback there are from such a small mm. um, but angry group of people. And I've just got to say, listening to Ro Allen, as you say, I've got to continue to say what an amazing... Yeah gift that we have to have had them as a as a commissioner um in victoria and and as a as an lgbtiq leader the common sense the heart the compassion that they have is just amazing so i just want to add to that yeah yeah Yeah. then in a moment we're going to speak to someone from the australian hate crime network just about that bigger picture of you know where is this seemingly increased level of hate coming from and and what can we do about it but you know you've just described just anecdotally your own experience this recent death threat that's never happened to you before how do you respond to that and continue to go about your business go about your day feeling feeling safe and protected where you live um, I want to say two things about that. I want to um, address that we really need legislation. When the magistrate spoke to the perpetrator of this death threat, uh, they brought up the consideration, is this a hate crime? Um, and there are laws in place for uh, racially um, racial hate crimes, but the LGBTIQ community is not protected to, there is not a law to protect us from that sort of hate uh, speech and threat so that's one thing i would like to see government and just uh, on that ben before you get to the next point so when you receive a death threat and who, who do you like where do you take that what do you do i mean that's something that whether or not you believe that it's real it's still something that is going to it's going to rock you. It's it's going to something's going to shift in you. Like, do you feel like you even had anyone to go to? Oh, well, the initial thought was, oh, this is really sad that this person feels that they need to find my telephone number and call me in my home and make this threat. Like, who is this person? But then my body responded in a way that was like, no, I'm in shock. I'm in fear. They've gone out of their way to find my personal telephone number to, to call me um, to say this. So I went to the, I went to the police um, in Bendigo the next day and spoke to um, a gay lesbian uh, liaison officer and made my complaint. I had details of the phone number that the person had called from and I felt very safe and supported wow. by my local police. And that's not the same across the board. I absolutely acknowledge that not everybody feels no, that they're going did. to be supported. Okay, that's I did, good. I did, yeah. Mm. And what was the second point that you wanted to raise, Ben? Sorry, I, had to, I interrupted you there. <laughs> um, no, that's okay. I, I forgot what your question was. <laughs> Sorry, Rochelle. I don't even think I can remember what the second part was I think going to be. It, I think it was around, you know, how do you go about your... How, about, how do you continue to go yes. about your day when you've got the weight of a death threat hanging over you, I guess? Uh, okay, well, I think... I am very fortunate to walk through this world and not draw attention to myself. Now, I say not draw attention to myself. I don't mean that um, I'm trying to go under the radar. I just mean that I walk down the street and I look like a regular bloke. Um, I pass or I am read as a cisgender man. I have a beard. I'm bald-headed, you know, and not all of my community uh, are in that fortunate position of whether they may be just transitioning, whether they may be somebody who expresses themselves as part of the community in a more colourful way than I do. But I get to walk through this world with the privilege of being a white male. So... um, I don't like to complain about the fact that I no. got a death threat and I feel very <laughs> safe and very comfortable, but I will wear my proud trans man t-shirt and I will go and speak at events to um, businesses and organizations and community groups because 
I'm I feel safe to be visible when other people don't. It's so important that you do that. Ben, as always, thank you so much for coming on and speaking with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Ben McKellen is an author, a public speaker, a playwright and a performer. This text is from David. It's really important that LGBTIQ plus and allies get on board and actively support their young friends. I'm a dad of a 21-year-old gay man and embarrassingly, I didn't get it when I was younger and I don't think I treated LGBTIQ plus people very well. I'm ashamed. But the only way to change things is to go through education and support from allies. That's from David. Amazing parents' contributions today, aren't there, coming through? Professor Nicole Asquith is the convener of the Australian Hate Crime Network and director of the Tasmanian Institute of Law Enforcement Studies. Thanks for joining us, Nicole. When Rochelle and I were talking about this topic, we both said, where is this hate coming from? It feels so intense now. Do you have an answer to that? Thanks for uh, including me in this discussion. Um, where it comes from varies considerably depending on what kind of, uh, who's being targeted and in what ways. But I think the, the most important thing, I just wanted to draw on what David was talking about, the death threats, that um, our communities, LGBTIQ plus communities, have been experiencing death threats for a very long time. As a client advocate back in the 1990s, we had daily death threats um, against the work that we were doing in supporting victims of hate crime. So we need to be thinking not necessarily about that there's more of this, but that there's more amplification of the hate. You know, back in the 1990s, we didn't have the internet, we didn't have uh, mobile phones, we didn't have social media. So the message couldn't get out much further than, you know, a group of dedicated haters. So I think what we're seeing now is the the anonymity of social media allows people to say things that they would not normally say face-to-face to somebody. Um, and I think we've also got the what I call the policy transfer or the hate transfer that we're starting to see in terms of particular types of practices that developed in the UK and the US and have been transferred into the Australian context. And sometimes that works just as, if, as effectively in Australia as it does in the UK and the US, but at other times it does not. And I think that's something that we need to be drawing upon is what makes Australia different in these spaces. And and you were talking about uh, that David, who was a parent, and saying, you know, I have transformed my ideas around sexuality and gender diversity because of my own child. And I think, you know, we, we often talk about law, as, as Ben talked about, yes, we do need strong laws, but um, it's really in those one-to-one encounters that yeah. we can transform people's attitudes and perceptions. I mean, when you look at Ben's response, he got lucky because the police officer that he met with in Bendigo mm-hmm. was really helpful, but then that's not, and he even re- sort of acknowledged that that's not always the way. Lots of people, Nicole, are wanting to blame either the United States or they're wanting to blame church groups or they're wanting to blame sort of all different sections of the community but then right at the beginning of the program when we spoke to Adele who was a youth worker who was affected received death threats and was a part of the the team who had to shut down their rainbow ball you know when we spoke about whether or not that hate was coming from within the community they didn't really know that you know and we've used the word keyboard Mm. warriors a lot today but just being able to dig down in and find some event that's happening somewhere and make it look like it's coming from that community mm. and then the ripple effects that happens to that community. How do we try and rein that in? Look, there's, there's some work being done at the, the, level, the national level, particularly around the anti-racism framework. And even though that's very much focused on racism, we're bringing an intersectional lens to the work that we're doing with the Australian Human Rights Commission and looking at developing strategies that range from, you know, more regulations for social media companies about bringing down the hate as quickly as possible. It's about uh, having more robust anti-vilification legislation within the states as well. But it's also about 
changing the the environments in which we work and, and we often talk about bystander intervention mm. and often people think in their minds it's you know intervening in a violent altercation on the street but I talk about bystander interventions as being not strangers but our friends and families and neighbours who speak up who speak for us who who step into that space and say it's not appropriate to use those names or you know be you the do ally. need to be thinking about yeah. the pronoun. Yeah, these are our allies and, and, and our allies have an enormous power to change a conversation. Um, it means also in the case of, of Ben that we don't put our bodies on the line to try and bring about change. You know, often it's the the least able, the least the, those with the, the least resources that are required to try and change attitudes and perceptions. But with allies, we can have a united front. Mm, and building that point. capacity for allies to actually step into those spaces and allow us to step back so that we don't get the death threats. Nicole, one thing Ben mentioned was that, um, you know, hate crime, if you're, if you're racially vilified, that's classed as hate speech, but that doesn't transfer across to LGBTQI plus communities. Um, and that surprised me. And I, I know reading the definitions of hate crime state by state, they vary. So what yeah. needs to be done around the way we um, categorise and respond to what mm. is hate speech? There's a, a variety of different strategies in Australia. Each jurisdiction has a different approach to it. Um, there's also the difference between hate speech and hate crime. Hate speech is often dealt with as a civil matter, as anti-vilification, um, and is not dealt with as a crime unless it's serious vilification. And even then, that is up to the police and the prosecutors mm. to decide whether something is serious vilification. I think also vilification laws are problematic because it's not the original hate speech that's the problem. What's being regulated is its transfer to others, almost the infection level of bring, bringing the hate to a, a wider audience. So it, hate speech itself is, is not actually regulated at all in any context. So I do, do say that uh, death threats do step, set, set aside because everybody can receive a death threat, whether you're a member of the community, LGBTIQ yeah, community and you just don't not. want it to come down to luck as to whether or not you're going yeah. to, to get that help. Nicole, we're out of time, but thank you so much for your insights today and the work that you do. It's vital. Thank you. No worries. Thank Professor, you. Profe Professor Nicole Asquith there is the convener of the Australian Hate Crime Network and the director of the Tasmanian Institute of Law Enforcement Studies. And as Ben said before, Bron, even though he didn't necessarily, his mind didn't believe the death threat, his body did and he had that physical reaction. But you don't want it to come down to luck to get that help. I just want to give you a quick number. There's a number called for Q Life, which is a switchboard, a Victorian switchboard that will help you. It will help you if you're a parent or if you're someone that identifies as LGBTIQA+. It's 1800 184 527. 1 800 Ramon O'Shea, thank you and a huge thank you to everyone that rang today. It was so important mm -hmm. to get those stories out. Take care. Be kind.